What a pleasure to be with you again. I am so honored to come. I love to get the chance to preach anywhere, really, and to come and be with you and Dan and, and to do this conference thing tomorrow. This is really cool. Um, so thank you. I, uh, as Dan said, was a pastor for, uh, uh, in churches. I'm still a pastor, but in western Pennsylvania for 14 years, in uh, Lincolnshire, Illinois, right next to our schools, Trinity, about a mile from there for 22 years to the day. And I got out on February 2nd last year, which was a really good time to get out. Uh, we had an actual farewell, and people hugged us and, you know, all that. And, uh, what, a month later, the roof fell in. So I'm thankful. We moved to Rockford, Illinois, two and a half hours straight south of here, just over the border, my wife and I, and uh, we're glad to be there near our son. And, uh, boy, it's great to be with you. I look forward to meeting you afterwards if we have time and you're not afraid of death and... Uh, <laughs> viruses and stuff. I have been inoculated twice. Not that that helps you, but it helps me. I can still convey all kinds of terrible things to you, but uh, I'm safe. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about heaven and the second coming of Jesus, and I love this quote from him. He said, at present, we are on the outside of the world. Interesting way to think about it the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the purity of morning, but they don't make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. The Bible ends saying, come Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Come Lord Jesus. Say it to yourself every once in a while. Come Lord Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 to 18. Christians are meant to be restless people homesick people. It's the job of a pastor to make his people homesick, restless, like, like soldiers from combat waiting the flight home, restless, like a bride a week before her wedding, restless. That's what we're supposed to be like. We are not to be settled here. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Pastors, Dan and I and all pastors, we go to cemeteries and graveyards and funeral services more than other people. And we've been there for believers and for unbelievers. And there's a big difference. One of the most encouraging bedrock truths 
for Christians to know and hang on to, not just when we're old, but through all our lives so that we can persevere, is this. Jesus is coming back. For all who trust him, whether we live or sleep. You know that there are over 300 verses in the New Testament about the second coming of Christ. But no passage tells us more in one place than this passage that we're going to look at today. I want to just show you, this is very simple, very obvious. There are two great reasons in this text to be encouraged. The first one is this. Be encouraged because no believer will miss Jesus' return. Okay, that's simple. Bedrock. Be encouraged because no believer will miss Jesus' return. Evidently, the Thessalonians were confused. They thought Jesus was going to come back right away. And when someone in their church died before Jesus came back, they were unsettled by that. Didn't know what to think. So Paul, in part, is writing these words to clarify for them what actually is going to happen. We don't carry that worry now all these years later, all these graves later, but it's still important. Look at verse 14. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Right? We do, right? Amen? Amen. And so, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You see the connection? There's an and so in there. The second coming of Jesus and the resurrection of believers follow one from the other. Inevitably. Look at something else here in verse 14. It says that Jesus died, but believers fall asleep. Now, we use those terms interchangeably. The Bible does too. In fact, this passage does. We speak of believers who have died. But in this particular thing, verse, I think he wants to make this distinction so we think properly. Uh, Harold J. Akengay who was a great theologian and uh, professor and writer, he put it this way, death is the God-forsaken experience of a condemned soul. This is the death of Jesus. Jesus died. The God-forsaken experience of the condemned soul. That's what Jesus had in the fullest, most terrible sense of the word. But when we put our faith in Jesus... God puts us in Christ. He not only died for our sins, we died in him. So we're done with death. The kind of death that other people die. We're done with death the kind that Jesus died. This death swallows up our death. Verse 17 speaks of the dead in Christ. In Christ. Our condemnation was in him on the cross. So there's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. What a free, wonderful gift. When God raised Jesus from the dead, 
death's sting was gone for us and sin's sentence upon us was paid. So when our bodies give out, we don't really fall asleep. I mean, we don't really die. We fall asleep. When our bodies give out, we don't really die. We fall asleep. Alexander McLaren wrote, his death makes our deaths sleep. And his resurrection makes our sleep calmly certain of a waking. And where are these folks who have fallen asleep? Both Pastor Dan and I have done funerals in the last week. He's done three in the last week or so. I did one on Friday. Where are those folks? They were all believers. All different kinds of people. An old saint, the fellow I buried was my uncle. 90 years old. He would have been yesterday. Just, he was a, I must say, a famous speaker, pastor, professor, author. It's amazing. And there we gathered, just his wife and my cousins and their spouses and my wife. That was it. Dan was telling about the funerals he'd done. Where are they? Well, if they were believers, and they were, this says, this verse says, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So what does that tell you? They're with Jesus now. If you would look over in... Um, Chapter 5, verse 10 in Thessalonians there, it says, He died for us <clears throat> so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Paul wrote that he would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Oh, I love that. Don't you? At home with the Lord. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are living with Christ right now as surely as we live with Christ, only more so. And when Jesus comes, they're going to come with him. There was a statement, D.L. Moody, you know, that started Moody Bible Institute and so forth. He wrote, one day you will hear that D.L. Moody of Northfield, Massachusetts is dead. Don't you believe it? In that day I will be more alive than I have ever been before. When Christians die, however the dying goes, the passage is no more complicated or difficult or painful than falling asleep. And we awake in Jesus' presence. Our bodies, however, continue to sleep. Believers' bodies, you might say, are incubating, dormant, like lily bulbs under the frozen ground. But the spirits of those who have fallen asleep are alert and enjoying the company of the Lord Jesus. God will see to it, this point of these, this verse is, God will see to it 
that those who have fallen asleep will not miss out on Jesus' second coming. They'll not miss out. Wherever they are, whatever shape their body is in, or no shape at all, they will not miss out. In fact, they get first dibs. They get to go first. Look at verse 15. According to the Lord's word, he's, he's saying, I got this directly from Jesus. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, maybe that'll be us, who knows, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So should you stand at the graveside of a believer, someone dear to you, be encouraged by those words. So what will the coming of the Lord be like? Man, I love this painting. I just want you to see it. It speaks beautifully, and I just love it. I sort of wish I could have it really big, like about the size of this screen here, somewhere in my house. It'd be great, wouldn't it? What will the coming of the Lord be like? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know. If you're sitting here hoping I'm going to go into the mysteries of the timing, you're out of luck. I don't know. It doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know, but it'll tell us everything we need to know. And a lot of it is right here. Listen to verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So, here's the second reason for encouragement. Be encouraged in knowing what will happen when Jesus comes back. Be encouraged in knowing what will happen when Jesus comes back. Now, we're going to just go through this phrase by phrase. It's everyone gets my juices going. Second service. Nobody's waiting to come. I don't have a roast in the oven. He says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Oh. The Lord Jesus doesn't know when this will happen. He told us that. Only the Father knows. But at the Father's signal, the Lord Jesus will rise from his sapphire throne, pass through the arches of heaven. He will go past the altar of sacrifice, stained with his own blood. He will go past the altar of incense, fragrant with the prayers of God's people. He will go past the four living creatures, these mysterious, powerful worshipers of God, and the 24 elders. He will summon the archangel, and with him the hosts of heaven, and they will marshal behind him 
And then he will cross that great gulf that exists between earth and heaven. And again, he will come through the curtain of the world. (laughs) This time, there will be no star needed to announce his coming. This time, no wise men will be summoned to tell a king. No shepherds will go to proclaim this time. This time, there will be no disguise of baby flesh or swaddling clothes. Not this time. This time, there will be no missing his coming. It says he will come with a loud command, but it doesn't tell us what the command will be. When Lazarus died, remember that story? And Jesus goes to the tomb, and it says, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Bam! Out he came. Folks have speculated if Jesus hadn't specified it was Lazarus he was calling, who knows, maybe all the graves on earth might have opened. So I wonder, when Jesus comes back, if he will say, Brethren, come out! It says he will come with the voice of the archangel. Gabriel, maybe, or Michael. These great archangels and this one who will come have stood guard over God's people for centuries, have done battle with Satan himself, have been at the throne of God at his beck and call. This great archangel is the superior over the hosts of heaven. And he will now come behind Christ with his armies and he will shout. It says he will come with the trumpet call of God. Mm. Once, the first time, God's trumpet sounded from heaven to summon the people of Israel to Mount Sinai to receive the law. When they learned about observing the Passover, they were told to summon people to the Passover to sound the time with a trumpet. It was their great feast of forgiveness, a trumpet. When the people of Israel were ready to cross finally out of the wilderness into the promised land, two Silver trumpets sounded reveille. Trumpets were used to sound battle and victory. And when Solomon dedicated the great temple of God, it says that 120 priests sounded ram's horns. Have you ever heard those things? 
Imagine 120 of them. 120 of them. All of those were like muted prophecies of the trumpet call of God. <laughs> it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Our fellow believers who have been with the Lord will now experience the resurrection of their bodies. Though they have been with the Lord, they have not been complete. Their bodies have lain sleeping till this spring kind of moment. I don't get this. I don't understand how this will be. So where my imagination goes has no grounding at all in Scripture, to tell you the truth, but I sort of imagine this great um, room under the earth someplace where bodies, our bodies, the bodies of those in, who have died in Christ are all hanging like uh, garments with names on them. <laughs> I, when I was in college, my freshman year at Trinity College, we sang, I sang in the choir and we got robes. And you, you put your name and your robe and everything. Well, then we, got, we moved up, got rid of the robes and uh, got tuxedos. I looked fine, I must say. A few years later, we started going to the church, the free church in Deerfield, near Trinity. And my wife and I joined the choir, and we had to get robes. And I go to find a robe, and lo and behold, there was a robe with my name on it. Got him from the college, I guess. Well, I imagine it like that. I imagine that somehow the spirits of the saints will find their bodies. It's got my name on it. It'll look like them. Not decrepit, but it'll look like... And we'll, they'll dress in these... I made this all up. But it just... Something wonderful is going to happen. I imagine the spirits suddenly clothed in permanent new bodies, like Jesus' body after the resurrection refashioned by God from the dust or ashes which were left. New bodies as different from these as an oak from an acorn, as a tulip from a bulb. And now clothed in everlasting resurrection bodies, they explode forth rising swiftly to meet the Lord in the air like exultant crowds running to their champion, rising into the sky. It's incredible. Clothed in Christ-like bodies that they have been waiting for. After that, it says in 17, after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. The Latin word for caught up is rapto, from which we get rapture. If you've grown up in church and heard about prophecy, you know that, the rapture of the saints. That's this. It means the seizing. Elsewhere we're told that this will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, like, that's really fast. 
Part of the reason the rapture will be so wonderful is what we leave behind. All that drags us down here. All that weighs on us. The heavy gravity that draws tears from our eyes and forces our bodies to bend beneath the weight of sin and sorrow. We will be caught up away from crippling memories and sorrows, from the habits that have hobbled us here, the weaknesses that have always hindered us, all thrown off like sandbags dropped from a fast-rising balloon. Those who are still alive when Jesus comes will also receive new bodies. What makes these new bodies so glorious is not that um, we become superheroes. You know, uh, x-ray vision, uh, superhuman strength, able to leap tall buildings. I don't know, maybe we'll be able to do that. It's not really very important then. They pale in significance to the fact that these bodies will be sin free and sick free. That these bodies will be refitted, recreated so that we can live and move and breathe in the kingdom of God, in the new heaven and the new earth. Our minds then will be unmuddled by lies and the lunacy of this world. Our hands then will only and forever serve the Lord. Our eyes will no longer look on unworthy things. And they'll be recreated so that they can bear the sights of heaven without going blind. Our ears will be refashioned, likewise, so that they can hear the songs of heaven without going deaf. So that the, the anthems and the hallelujahs and the glory will not deafen us. Tongues that will only and forever speak truth and love and worship and all our comings and goings forever and hearts clean enough and big enough and loving enough to move in the kingdom and the glory of God a place where life runs in the rivers and grows on the trees. Oh, man. Wow. We will be fit for a new world free from sin 
a whole civilization of people like Christ, body and soul. Johnny Erickson Tata, who has been paralyzed now for well over 50 years, she said, don't assume that all I ever do is dream about <clears throat> springing out of this wheelchair, jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics. No, I'm looking forward to heaven because of a new heart, a heart free from sin, sorrow, selfishness. That beats having a new body any day. It says, and we shall be together with them in the clouds. <laughs> what a reunion. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 31, that his angels will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. It strikes me that God's people <clears throat> have never all been together. You've never even been together with all the people of God in this city. We have all heard and shared testimonies of Christ across ages. We can read them from other times and other cities and places and languages. We've shared all those things, but we've never all been together. We have all confessed through all the ages, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We have all come to the same table, partaken of the bread and the wine, but we've never all been together. We have sung the same songs, set in different tunes perhaps, We've prayed the similar prayers. We have opened the same scriptures. But we've never all been together. Each of us, in all times and places, have testified that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. But... We've never all been together. We have in, within us this deep sense that we are one with each other, with believers we have never met. Don't we? We have this sense that we're part of something great. You, you meet somebody. Somebody just told me last night, I met so-and-so, and I just knew you were a believer. Yeah, we know. We know that we're part of something grand that reaches across the languages and ages, places. And finally, on that great day, we will all be together when we meet the Lord in the air. And look where we meet, in the clouds, it says, in the air. The Bible says that this has been the domain of the enemy. Remember that? The prince of the power of the air. Who has, it's this, the devil who has tormented us and lied to us 
and accused us of sins that Jesus has forgiven. But he will be cast down and we will meet in triumph for once he reigned. And it will now be the Lord's domain, the place of our reunion. What a victory. It says we will meet the Lord in the air and so, will we, so we will be with him forever. We can imagine, I think, at least a shadow of what it might be like when we get to see our loved ones in Christ again. We try to imagine that. And I suppose we touch on the reality. But I don't think we have the capacity to imagine what it'll be like to meet Jesus in the air, in his glory. He, the one who saved us from death and sin. The one we've sung about 10,000 times. Prayed to. Read about. Dreamed of. We've, he's always been near, but we've never seen him. And then we will see him in his glory. Eyes ablaze, shining like the sun in all its brilliance. And we shall contribute to his glory. That's hard to believe. I mean, look at yourself. Look at me. What do we have to add? You know why? We will help glorify Jesus more than all the angels gathered around him because we are the ones he loved. We are the trophies and the treasures of Jesus. And when we gather in his presence around him, that will add to the glory of Jesus as nothing in all of the glory of heaven could ever do. The faith that we have so carefully cultivated, up and down, back and forth, three steps forward, two steps back, the faith that has been what we've tried to live by won't be necessary anymore. We're done with it. Being certain of things unseen won't be necessary because we'll see. We will even leave our precious Bibles behind. Just leave it on the nightstand. Leave it there by your chair in your briefcase. Just leave it. We won't need it anymore because we will know and we will be in the presence of him whose very name is the word of God. We rise to meet the Lord in the air as he comes to meet us. That's important. He doesn't wait passively. He comes to meet us. Jesus, on the night before he died, said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Those are the words of a bridegroom, a promise to a bride. No bridegroom ever gave more to win his bride than Jesus did to win us. No bridegroom has ever waited with such 
happy anticipation as Jesus waits for us by name. No one in all that excited airborne assembly of angels and saints will be more excited about the reunion. Nobody more excited than Jesus. Our great expectation that Jesus will return anchors our life here in this world. It's our abiding place and hope in death. When you weary here of your weakness and sin, remember, Jesus is coming back. When tomorrow looks heavy with foreboding, remember, Jesus is coming back. When you despair of our country or the world or the earth, remember, Jesus is coming back. When your body aches or your faith falters, remember, Jesus is coming back. When you have to say goodbye to someone you love who knows Jesus, remember, Jesus is coming back. So encourage one another with these words. Philip Yancey writes, I know a woman whose grandmother lies buried under 150-year-old live oak trees in the cemetery of an Episcopal church in rural Louisiana. In accordance with the grandmother's instructions, only one word is carved on her tombstone. Waiting. Let's pray. Fortify these saints, Father, in this room and who are watching, and those with whom this message will be shared one way or another. Jesus is coming back. I pray, O oh God, by your grace, by your resurrection life, you will indeed encourage us deeply with these words. For those who are weary or sad or weak, bear them up. Thank you for this word. Lord, around us everywhere are people who have nothing to hope for. They make up stuff, but we have your promise. Thank you. And we are encouraged. So be it. Amen.